ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper and it's lovely to have your company as we join our reporters on the road in regional Australia. This week we're heading into the Long Paddock, a grazing stock route in outback Queensland where we'll meet some of the drovers who are spending their days on horseback, moving thousands of head of cattle to greener pastures. We'll hear about a program that's giving young offenders a second chance in their community by teaching them to ride bucking bulls and compete in a rodeo. In the hope it will reduce reoffending. And we'll visit a cemetery that's nestled between canola fields in rural Western Australia. The dead buried here are beloved pet dogs, and the unusual cemetery has put the small town on the map, attracting tourists from all over the country and all over the world. Every town has something that no one else has and they claim to fame. It never ventured out that way from the start. And I think we've got it, we've embraced it. I shall think the rest of the countries embraced it more than what we did and hence it became part of a tourist attraction. We're not a touristy town, uh, we're just a farming town and this is probably the closest thing we've got to anything touristy to fame. We'll meet some of the people who've buried their best mates at that dog cemetery in WA's Wheatbelt. That's coming up a little later. First today, in northeast Victoria, novice farmers are getting a chance to learn hands-on skills. A course targeting women with little to no farming experience is covering everything from marking calves, fixing fences, soil testing and even how to buy and sell at the sale yards. Reporter Annie Brown joined a lesson in landmarking. On a farm in Warrambane just outside of Benalla, a group of nine women are marking lambs for the first time. It's part of a new group in the northeast of Victoria called Ladies in Livestock, and it's run by cattle farmer Jackie Lachlan. Used to be a farm consultant. And I now have stud Murray Gray cattle, which I love. (laughs) And for a long time, 10 years ago, I had this idea of, uh, in talking to younger girls, they wanted the practical skills. If they bought land, they could actually feel confident in going and buying sheep, handling lambs or calves, fixing a fence and... It's taken a long time to come to fruition, but then I thought, well, bite the bullet and do it. And the idea was for women to come out in an environment that wasn't under pressure, um, which sometimes it is with men, they get, they're in a hurry to do things and, and often they lose their cool with their wives and their girlfriends. (laughs) This was to provide an environment where they could relax and learn. You said this is something that you've wanted to do for a long time. Mm. Where did you first get the idea from this? What was this inspired from? Just talking at conferences with young girls and older girls. One of the older ladies, she wanted to keep her farm. And because she'd been the housewife, the housekeeper, the children's raiser, she didn't know how the farm worked. And her husband died and the children talked her into selling the farm because she didn't know about it and she said I wish I'd met you years ago because I would have then learned how to run the farm I could stay there 
And she wanted to stay there, but in the end sold it. So that sort of helped me think along those lines as well. There's women here that, single women and married women. So it covers anyone and everyone. (laughs) How did you get into farming, Jackie? Family dairy farm. When I was young and I loved it, I spent every weekend down on the farm. I worked for years and years and years with other vocations and at 40 I went back to farming and I thought I should have done this when I was 20 (laughs) and I can't get enough of it. I guess what are your hopes for what this group could grow into? Well I do hope at the end of it they're all confident enough to go and purchase animals and run their property whether it's 400 acres or four acres and be confident in doing it and feel that they're doing it the right way. Cheryl and her husband retired to Ruffy to take up farming. They've started with just a small herd of belted Galloway. This is the first time she's ever been near a sheep. My husband is very much a perfectionist and no farming background. So I found I was really relying on his expertise. Although I was doing lots of reading, I wasn't hands-on. And we're in our 60s and I want to be able to really participate equally in the farm. And this was just a beautiful opportunity to learn with other women in a safe environment to get my confidence up and just just live the life I want to live as an active person on the land as I get older. So you said you're new to farming. What were you doing before? So I was a nurse, midwife before, before this, so um, maternal and child health nurse. No family history of farming whatsoever, but lots of bushwalking and camping and time in the country. Had this very idyllic view of how life would be. Reality is a nice place to visit, but I'm now living in it. So, What's been the highlight of your day? Actually practically doing this. I've never handled a sheep before and we've laughed a lot. So, you know, we've all fumbled our way through. As you saw, I couldn't tell a girl from a <laughs> boy, so I've got that covered now. So, no, just really doing it and learning. Yeah, it's been great. Janine Clayton and we've got 300 odd acres in a place called Moglanimbi, just north of Euroa. We run Black Angus and I've just started breeding. So this will be our third year breeding. Uh, it's been a new experience because we weren't farmers. So over the last seven years, we've developed lots of new skills. How are you going working with sheep? This is a new experience for you? They're silly animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're smaller and easier to handle. They are a little bit erratic, but um, yeah, different. I didn't really know what to expect. What's it like being in a, a group of just women learning these skills? It's really good. I think uh, women empower women and it's a softer approach than having men tell you this is how it's done. Not bagging out the men, but I think women tend to talk and gleam off each other uh, better than just having a full-on instruction from a guy who's perhaps been doing it for years. So the one thing in particular you're hoping to learn from this group? I want to become confident in doing things um, to help out on the farm instead of just doing all the book work. I I already work in the yards, but just having that confidence in knowing what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and handling things like, you know, the tag guns and vaccines. What advice would you give other new farmers? Find a group. Find a group of like-minded people. Do any courses that come up that... um, appeal to your interests. Thank you for Jackie putting this on and Mark for having us all here, us novices working a sheep.
oh, I love it. Like, where else would you want to be, honestly, you know? Mornings like this, it's just insane, yeah, for sure. There's always something going on, you know? Like, sometimes you miss, you know, talking to people, but it's great, yeah, just wide open spaces. Yeah, I love it, I really do, yeah. My name is Madeline McCosker, and I'm standing in a paddock along the stock route between Longreach and Winton. I'm surrounded by 2,000 head of Brahmin cattle. While it sounds like there'd be a lot of noise, it's actually very quiet. Dust fills the cloudless blue sky. Drovers on horseback walk with the mob, slowly pushing them down a narrow dirt road. The quiet of the outback is interrupted only by the shuffle of hooves on black soil, a crackly message over a two-way, or a whistle to the working dogs. Yeah. It's like you'd see in an old western, but this is modern cattle droving. And Bill Little has been droving Queensland's long paddock for 40 years. Married to the mob. <laughs> no, it's full on. Like We do the same thing every day. We get up early, we look after the cows all day, we try and get to bed early, just do it all again next day. Um, it has its good points and its bad points, but I'm still doing it, so it must be all right. Bill and his small team of drovers are walking this mob from Julia Creek in northwest Queensland, more than 2,100 kilometres south, to a property near Tambo in central west Queensland. They've already been on the road for three months, and doing under 20 kilometres a day, they won't arrive at Tambo until early November. Yeah, bulldog. Even with the help of 23 dogs and about a dozen horses, it's slow going for the team of four. We don't even know what day it is half the time. It's probably not everyone's cup of tea. If you want to test out your um, relationship with your partner, just go driving for a while. <laughs> and even though from the outside it may seem like something from a movie, Bill says the romance of droving wears off quickly. Well, you know, we get that all the time with the people I employ. Um, they come with that notion that it, you're riding along, whistling a tune and boiling the billy and all that, but they don't realise there's a lot of work in the job especially if you do it properly, you know. And it's strangely enough, the more work you do, the easier it gets. But, yeah, the romance, um, we, you know, I try and tell these people that come work for me, it's not all that easy out here, you know. The big days, you get up early, it's hot. A lot of them get what we call two-week orders. The first week's a buzz, the second week they start to get tired and the third week they're gone. So we call it two-week orders. With El Nino officially declared, cattle prices continue to fall as producers prepare for the oncoming dry. For the first time since 2019, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator sits below $4 per kilogram carcass weight. Longreach Livestock Agent Boyd Curran is optimistic that prices won't stay low for long. Oh, look, I think the seasonal outlook is, is um, having a major impact on what's happening with cattle prices at the moment. I feel very fortunate that we've got uh, beautiful feed and we're able to take advantage um, of the lower cattle prices. And I have no doubt that when we see a break in the season, a widespread break in the season, we're going to see a major correction in these cattle prices. Back at camp and the droving team is up at the crack of dawn, packing up and preparing for another day on the long paddock. After a quick cup of coffee as the sun is rising, they saddle their horses and take down the temporary fencing. In no time, the cattle are back on the road. Young drover Lucy Spranger didn't grow up on the land, but after hearing about the life of a drover from a friend, she knew she was meant for that life. I had dreamed of it for a long time, actually. Yeah, when I was 15, uh, Lily Pilly, a friend of mine, a neighbour actually back home, she was working for Bill and told me about it. And I was like, 
far out one day I've got to do that. And then I was driving up for a job in Mount Isa and I met Bill along the way and he said he's a drover and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, got to go there. <laughs> and yeah, so I'd actually heard about it a while ago and thought one day and yeah, now here I am. <laughs> and to her, there is no better job. Oh, I love it. Like, where else would you want to be, honestly, you know? Mornings like this, it's just insane, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it all just depends on where we are, what we're doing. But usually, get up nice and early, have a cup of tea along the way, have the horses walking them along. It's all pretty, um, just roving, really. It's yeah. roving every day, all day. Yeah, they keep us busy, that's for sure, and always entertaining. There's always something going on, you know? Bit of banter, something with the cattle. Yeah, they're good to be at work with, for sure. It's pretty good, actually. Like, sometimes you miss, you know, talking to people, but you've got these mates, and we duck into the pub along the way and things, but it's great. Yeah, just wide open spaces. Yeah, I love it. I really do, yeah. Young drover Lucy Spranger ending that report from Madeline McCosker in Western Queensland. You can see more on that story and some beautiful photos of the drovers at work on the dusty stock route. You'll find it online at abc.net.au. Just search for A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper with you for A Big Country. Still to come, we're visiting a resting place for beloved pets that has put a tiny town on the tourist map. And we'll hear how learning how to ride bucking bulls is giving young offenders a chance to reintegrate into community life. Victoria Ellis has this story from Alice Springs about a program for prisoners that aims to reduce reoffending. Jefferson Woody can't change his past, but he's determined to have a positive future. The 19-year-old is an inmate at the Alice Springs Correctional Centre. I'm from down, but I've come up here to get away from trouble. Mr Woody has been granted a second chance. He'll ride a bull at the Alice Springs Rodeo as part of a program to reduce crime and reconnect young offenders with community. How are you feeling about that upcoming bull ride? Pumped, scared, but yeah, good. Never, never seen a bull in my life. Just spent most of my time beyond bars. So yeah, it's a new experience, life experience, you know, to get the best out of it, meet new people. Is it also kind of about, you know, participating in community again? Yeah, just because I spent a long time already beyond, you know, good to get reintegration and actually do meet new people so I can fit in the community when I do come out. And this could, this could be something I could get in, interested in too, you know? It's the first time correctional services have allowed prisoners to ride in a rodeo. Offenders aged 18 to 25 are taking part in the program after being jailed for a range of crimes, including domestic violence. That's Blair Carroll, I'm the general manager of the Alice Springs Correctional Centre. The concept of having the guys come and ride at the radio is a continuation of what we're trying to plan for the young offenders within the correctional system. Um, we've taken a real focus towards uh, picking up those that we've identified as, as troubled and um, trying to make sure by the time they get released from custody they're better um, attuned to what awaits them outside and plus we've given them more skills, the life skills and the tools I suppose to um, make a better go of it. The impact for these young offenders is that they get a, um, a greater level of pride, achievement and um, you know, from a mental health perspective they're stepping outside their normal framework or the norms that they have um, and achieving something they wouldn't ordinarily um, achieve or do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. 
The program comes as crime in Alice Springs and the Northern Territory has been making national headlines. Marie Corvo runs a men's behaviour change program through Tangangira Council in Central Australia. Anything that we can do, that we can work with men towards um, their change process, I think is really important. And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. And also different options such as this, which really um, assist men to build their sense of self, their self-esteem and to be included within the community. Aboriginal man Michael Little also works with men in Alice Springs to stop domestic violence. Oh, the need for this sort of stuff to happen on a more regular basis is very much needed for Aboriginal men. This is our opportunity to shine. We face all types of issues all the time and I think with programs like this it only helps us get better and perform better much in our personal lives. He said the program would help offenders find new mentors. The main thing is changing the scenery. You know, you change your conversation, you change the people you hang around, you soon get a, a different person and that's what needs to happen. What's his best, what's his worst and what's his middle. So he'll change this and we'll go to the left here, we'll come around here. Tom Edmonds is the president of the Alice Springs Rodeo Association. He's enthusiastic about the opportunities that bull riding will open up for the young offenders. It gives them opportunity to have a crack, have a go. They've helped out here setting up all the grandstands, doing as much as work as we do. So I can't see why they cannot compete. How big of a need do you think there is for programs like this to stop reoffending in Alice Springs and Central Australia and the Northern Territory? I think it's, it's not going to be a world beater, but I think it will be an avenue with footy and all other sports programs that are out there that will put them on the right track, maybe lead on to going elsewhere across Australia to ride and, and just give them another outlet and, and give them a bit of a station background and might opportunity to go back on the land that they've done this and they're like, oh, I really enjoyed this and there might be more opportunities out on the stations and that, so it creates jobs as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how useful that might be for the industry if this did become a pathway to get young offenders into that much needed area of working on stations? A lot of pastors and a lot of station families and managers come to these shows and, you know, it's about networking. They meet this person, meet that person and, and it just leads from there and say, that seems like a young, resilient young bloke and I want to take him on and give him a chance. Well, I could take 10 people in my stock camp any day of the week, doesn't matter what training, I don't care, we can train them on the way and we would... And I know there'd be about five other stations would do it. They'd literally take anyone that is willing to work and wanting to have a go and learn, we'll take him on any day of the week. And that's exactly the outcome 19-year-old Jefferson Woody is hoping for. Do you think uh, having been involved with the rural scene and having ridden a bull that you might try and find some work in the agriculture industry on a station or being a ringer or something like that maybe? Yeah, of course. Just give it a go, you know. Never know. Could take me somewhere. By you being out there in the arena and you're riding a bull, what do you think it'll show about who you are as a person? That I'm kind-hearted. Some people in the community may be wondering if the offenders really deserve the second chance. But Mr Woody has a response. Everyone makes mistakes in life, you know, no one's perfect. Everyone done bad things, just part of life. But if you do believe in change, this is the biggest change, you know, we're only young. Coming out of, especially coming out of prison and given the opportunity to come out and do this is... It's a once in a lifetime, you know, because most probably us being in prison, it's obvious we only know about criminal mentality, stealing and all the rest, but coming out and do this is one big life changing, you know.
It's the best thing ever. And there, you stand here. We'll help you. We're not letting you do this on your own. Dog cemeteries, how normal are they? Um, well, growing up in Courage, and I thought dog cemeteries, every town had one. I thought they were completely normal, but it turns out they're not. <laughs> we're at the Corrigan Dog Cemetery, about 200 kilometres southeast of Perth. Don't worry, they're not ghost dogs. That's Gwenda Reynolds' dog, Vinny. Oh, Vinny's come up to, um, to uh, check out his plot, if he can find one. Vinny, turn around. No, he doesn't want to turn around. He, uh, Vinny came to us because he was handed in. He was on a farm and I believe he was misbehaving on the farm with some of the sheep. So um, he was handed into the vet, local vet, who rang us because we'd just lost our third dog. And we got Vinny. Oh, And he's very special. He's gorgeous. Hello, I'm Brianna Fiore and I'm getting a bit of a tour of this unusual country cemetery with local Gwenda Reynolds. She has three of her beloved pets buried here. Our first one is right behind us over there, Harvey. And he was a black lab crossed with an Irish setter. Beautiful dog. He probably died four, four years ago, I'd say. Well, Harvey was the first we had. We brought him from Kalamunda when we moved down here. He was a just big, gentle giant of a dog. And then we had two little Maltese poodles, brother and sister. And Benny died in 2020, and he's buried on the other side. And sadly, Bella died this year, and she's buried not far from Benny. Obviously, losing a dog can be really hard. Is this a way that people can grieve? Oh, I believe so, yes. Uh, I know a man who's been coming up here for a long, long, long time, every morning, to uh, have a chat to his dog. Yeah, it's just a really nice place to leave your dog. What started as one man's tribute to his dog has now turned into a graveyard with about 200 canines. Can't understand why other towns don't have it. I mean, it's man's best friend. What do you do with your dog? You don't just chuck it in the bin. So old Paddy Wright in 1974, he decided he wanted to do something good with his best mate. So he went up to the Shire and said, where can I bury my dog? And they said to him, well, the sand's pretty soft out the road there, just go chuck him out there. And of course he did that, and then another bloke, then another guy, and this is back in 1974. And by the time the 80s came, like, you know, we had a bit of a cemetery happening. So that's when it became a little bit famous, I suppose. So people started taking a bit of pride in it and grew from there. I think like every, every town has something that no one else has, and they claim to fame. It never ventured out that way from the start. I think we've got it, we've embraced it. Actually, I think the rest of the country's embraced it more than what we did. And hence, it became part of a tourist attraction. We're not a touristy town, uh, we're just a farming town, and this is probably the closest thing we've got to anything touristy to fame. Carly Kenny from the Corrigan Guest House says it's attracting tourists from around the world. Yeah, we have a lot of different people from all around the world and around the country that come to stay. Um, lots of international people, then we have runs of retirees from the eastern states, um, families, all sorts of people. And Raylene Button from the town's caravan park says the same. It brings people in, they come in, they have a cup of coffee and a cake, come out, have a look at the headstones, visit all the pets that we have here. Everyone comes in and asks, where's the dog cemetery? And we give them directions and a little map. They are intrigued about it and seeing the headstones, they just can't believe how amazing it is. 
Jun Wan is visiting the graveyard and says it's very unique. Well, I think it's a good place to to show human relationship with our dogs. Yeah. And do you have any dog cemeteries in China? No, 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 not at all. We we usually have no. Well, I ca I cannot see uh, any place like this out of out of in Western Australia or out of Korean. The cemetery, which sits between the golden canola fields, became so popular that it even had to be expanded. A nearby farmer generously donated their land. And there's also a cat at the dog cemetery, but nobody knows how that snuck in. As for Vinny, Gwenda says he's still got plenty of time before he makes the move up here. <laughs> Not for a while yet, he's only six. Corrigan local Gwenda Reynolds, she was speaking to reporter Brianna Fiore at the town's dog cemetery, which has become something of a tourist attraction. You can read more about that quirky story. You'll find more on that one and all of the stories on today's program on the ABC website, abc.net.au. Search for A Big Country. That's a wrap for today. I'll chat to you next week. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.